Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, all three readings for this weekend center around a theme that was very familiar to the ancient audiences who first took them in, but that is rather alien to us. I'm talking about the theme of substitutionary sacrifice. Substitutionary sacrifice. A very basic problem we have when we seek to understand this idea is that we're marked through and through by a very strong individualism. And this is the fruit of of modernity. And we're in many ways, we Americans are kind of a, a paradigmatically modern people. What I mean here is that we take for granted that everyone acts and speaks for himself, takes responsibility for his own actions. But see, ancient people, and this is not just in the Bible, but ancient people in general, lived within a far more collective or corporate consciousness. They understood the individual. Don't get me wrong. They understood you know, that each person is his own person. But they tended to emphasize the group or the body or the collective more than the individual. And see, on this reading of things, one person could indeed perform an act on behalf of another or for the benefit of another. Now, the idea even extended to animals, which is why the blood sacrifice of an animal in the temple had a kind of expiatory power. What I mean is when someone brought the animal to the temple and and the animal was, was sacrificed, what he was thinking in this very corporate consciousness was what's happening to this sheep or this ox or this animal should by rights be happening to me. There was this idea of, of someone being able to act on behalf of another. Okay, given all this, it's altogether natural that when ancient Israel began to speak about the Messiah, and when the first Christians tried to explain that Jesus is in fact this Messiah, they would reach for the language of substitutionary sacrifice. So listen now in our first reading taken from that famous 53rd chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah. I might recommend to you, by the way, get out your Bibles and read through that chapter 53 of Isaiah. Listen now to this passage. The Lord was pleased to crush him in infirmity. Because of his affliction, he shall see the light in fullness of days. Through his suffering... My servant shall justify many, and their guilt he shall bear. It's fascinating, isn't it? That little passage, hugely important for early Christianity, but I would submit difficult for us to grasp. The Lord crushes this figure, so this is the messianic figure, 
And because of his affliction, many others will be relieved of their uh, guilt. Through his suffering, this servant shall justify many, and their guilt he shall bear. You see this back and forth, this one-in-the-other quality. The logic, if you want, is the same as that which governed animal sacrifice. What is happening to this suffering servant should by rights be happening to us. And so in that famous line, by his stripes, right, his, the, the whipping that he receives, we are healed. Strange. Again, I know, I know to us it seems odd, but it was altogether natural for ancient Israel. And now listen to our passage. This is the, our second reading from the letter to the Hebrews. That's a very interesting letter, of course. The author of it, it's, it's really more of a treatise than a letter. It's not really like the, the Pauline letters. The author of this treatise was undoubtedly a temple priest. He was someone very well acquainted with the goings-on in the Jerusalem temple, which meant he knew all about sacrifice. He knew all about the process by which someone would bring an animal as an offering, the priest would, would slaughter the animal and then burn it as a holocaust. That's, that's the frame of reference he has as he speaks. He also knows very well, and it's central to the letter to the Hebrews, about the Day of Atonement in the temple. The day, once a year, when the high priest alone would enter the Holy of Holies and perform a definitive sacrifice on behalf of the people, killing an animal, thereby expiating their sins and calling forth upon them the divine mercy. On that very special, unique day, he would pass through the veil, that means the veil separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, and then he would come back through the veil, bearing the divine forgiveness. So he, he knew that was just basic to Israelite worship life, and he knew it very well, the author of this letter. So now, listen to him, against the backdrop of everything I've been saying. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us confidently approach the throne of grace. Again, largely language that's going to land sort of uh, with a thud on us. But believe me, first century uh, Jews, they got all that because it's all adapted temple language. The heavens, he speaks of, the great high priest who's passed through the heavens, that's the veil I was talking about. The high priest would pass through the veil, go into the Holy of Holies, but now it's projected onto the cosmos itself. What's the throne of grace that he approaches? Well, that's the Holy of Holies. The high priest would go through the veil, come into the Holy of Holies. Now, this author is saying, Jesus, the true and great high priest, has passed through the veil of the heavens, has come to the throne of grace, the cosmic holy of holies. And it's none other than the sacrifice of this great high priest that has made the mercy of God available to us. Does that make sense? 
So Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, now the letter to the Hebrews, the, the high priest on the Day of Atonement, all of this is informing the way Christians begin to think about Jesus. Now, let's look at the gospel. Jesus provides in the gospel for today another route of access to this basic idea. Speaking of ransom, listen now. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Once again, it's, it's a person sacrificing or suffering on behalf of others. See, ransom and kidnapping were all too familiar in the biblical world. Travelers would often be kidnapped. And that's one reason why people were so afraid of traveling. You know, we take it for granted. We, we get on these beautifully paved roads. We hop onto airplanes and we travel thousands of miles. The ancient world, traveling was a very dicey business. One reason was the, the danger of kidnapping. You'd be kidnapped and held kind of helplessly while ransom was sought from families and friends. You know, this could take forever. I mean, as the, the word had to get back to their family somehow, the money had to be collected, it had to be brought to where the person was. I mean, this could take months, years. If the person was, was extremely lucky, someone would pay the price for him. It's, it's interesting here that literally he would redeem him. Redeemere in Latin just means to buy back. He'd redeem him, buy him back. Well, see, this is the metaphor that Jesus is employing. What he's saying is by giving his life, he's somehow paying the price for all of us. He's the ransom that frees us from captivity. He would make the sacrifice that would set us free. Okay, so Isaiah, we got suffering servant. Hebrews, we have the temple priest and the day of atonement. In the gospel, we have the redeemer. They're all types of substitutionary sacrifice. Okay, we might be tempted to say, okay, Bishop, I, I think I got it, but I mean, what does it mean precisely? And how does this work? I mean, I get it. It's, it's what ancient peoples understood. We don't quite get it. But how does it work? Well, welcome to the branch of theology called soteriology and to centuries of debate regarding sacrifice, ransom, who's holding us captive, who pays the price, etc. What I want to do is just in this little brief time I have is propose an image from the Gospel of Matthew that I've always found really illuminating in this regard. Here's from Matthew. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Now, of course, that's Jesus himself speaking. And it's this sort of cri de coeur over the city of Jerusalem. How I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And at first glance, we say, well, oh, that's nice. A nice kind of sentimental image. You know, it's warm and it's maternal, etc. But here's the point. It's actually an image that's rather terrible. 
it's a barnyard image. And it's speaking of that moment when, and ancient people knew this well, and, and those today too, you know, who, who uh, live in this, this or understand this dimension of life, that when fire would sweep through a chicken coop, the mother hen would gather her chicks under her wings for protection so that the fire would consume her but spare them. See, it's not just sentimentality here when Jesus says, I want to gather you under my wings. He's suggesting a great act of protection where he takes the danger that's coming for us. Okay, so what did Jesus do on that terrible cross? He took upon himself hatred, violence, cruelty, injustice, stupidity, betrayal, denial, all the dross of the world, all the sin of the world. And listen, he allowed it to be spent upon him so that he could swallow all of it up in the divine mercy. He allowed himself to be burnt in sacrifice so that we might live. He permitted himself to be punished so that we didn't have to be punished. He paid the ransom so that we could be set free. That's the substitutionary sacrifice that's gestured at now throughout the Bible. By the way, we hold it up every time we celebrate Mass. We hold up this great act, which is so pleasing to the Father. Oh, because the Father needs blood sacrifice? No, because the Father is delighted by the act by which his Son sets us free. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.